Okay, well, let's, I'm going to take a, a few minutes here uh, by way of introduction, and, and then we'll get into the text, uh, but we'll try to, to, to frame the text and help us uh, through the questions that we ask during times of oppression or violence and think through that, because we have seen a heightened amount of this, right? Um, just last night, a 14-year-old boy was stabbed to death on the subway here in New York City, right? Another life taken. 14 years old. Uh, violent crimes in cities have been rising each year since 2020. Gun violence since 2014. And, and as we just prayed about the uh, tragedy there in Highland Park, Illinois, in the suburbs. But Chicago has been no stranger to this, right? Um, heightened gun violence. The scene of a father bending over his two-year-old child to keep it alive is heart-wrenching. Um, and so gun violence, domestic violence, violent acts of theft and vandalism, it seems though we are a society that lost its training wheels of morality. Just gone off a cliff. So what do we do? And a question often comes up, what does God do? Where is God? Well, what do we do? Well, we pray. We have to pray. As citizens, I think we're called to action, to help do what we can. If you see something, you say something. We, we hire or vote on government officials that try to do stuff as much as they can. Uh, and I think we should, we should not ignore that. Romans 13, verses 3 to 4, says, Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but they're a cause of fear for what? For wicked behavior. If you do bad things, you should be fearful that the government is on your trail. That's why God gave us government. It is a minister of God to you for good. If you do what is evil, be afraid, the Bible says. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. And so scripture encourages government to use its sword to curb evil. Government cannot change any hearts. The gospel changes the hearts. But the government does, should help in uh, curbing violence, right? Keeping people from being able to act, enact um, wicked violence on the innocent. But it seems as though they, they're not doing that, right? Um, in, in several ways. And I could spend a lot of time on this, but we're not going to. But you remember a shooting last month in Forest Hills of a delivery man? You guys remember that? Just right across the street here. Um, well, the, uh, uh, the, the perpetrator uh, of that lives in the building next to us. Right? So, so you have a bunch of politicians. I remember that day the, right, on Twitter, the local politicians saying, this could never happen, this can never happen. Um, but he's still there. Right? And so, so a group of politicians are saying, get the guns off the street. Uh, big politicians are saying, get the criminals off the street. Um, but it seems like they're saying, <laughs> either side is saying, All right, either keep the guns, get the criminals off, or keep the criminals and keep the guns off. Right? It's interesting. It's a, it's a weird time right now that people would say, you've got to keep the criminals on the street, or you've got to keep weapons of warfare on the street. Why are people saying this? 
uh, and yet that seems to be platforms. It seems to be platforms. Um, what, what I believe is happening, personally as a pastor, and you can take my opinion or not, I think we are, we are dealing with a group of citizens that is trying to live out a post-Christian era. We have a, a citizenry that no longer has a Judeo-Christian ethic and is being taught secularism from a, the womb. And, and so there is no value on life for folks, for many. So how do we respond when this happens? And if we could just beyond our country, right, there's not just wicked people enacting wickedness. There's, there's even rulers of wickedness act, you know, that, that have bigger warfare that they can enact on the innocent. Is this a new thing? No. We're learning that on Wednesday nights. Wednesday night, Pastor Andrew has us begin often with the idea that God doesn't change, but also man doesn't change. What's encouraging is the solution doesn't change either. Right? The gospel is always the solution from Genesis to Revelation. And so uh, we, we find in God our solution. Well, this is the question that people often ask, and I'm just, let me just highlight this, and we'll keep moving here. Um, Why doesn't God do something? And maybe you've asked that. Why doesn't God do something when the wicked have the power? And and so people will often say God doesn't do something because he's not able to. God doesn't do something because he's not good. Um, And so so those are two, two things that people will deny. And, uh, and so my seminary professor would put it this way. You have three watermelons. It's really hard to carry three watermelons. You can carry two uh, fairly easily, but that third one's hard to juggle. And, and so some folks will say, well, I believe that God is always good. And, and yet I do think that there's evil in the world because God is not powerful. He, he can't do everything. Some people will say God is all-powerful and evil is of the world because I don't like God, and they deny God's goodness. Others try to do this third one. It's really hard, but actually Eastern religions will do this. God is good. God is powerful, this force within you. But you know what? Evil is just a myth, right? We're we're just trying to live out, right? You You just meditate until the evil is no longer a reality. And so worldviews try to wrestle with how to answer this. And, and uh, there, there's a technical response to this that's called a theodicy. These, these answers to this question vindicating God's character. I'll just mention five from our booklet here. We actually have a booklet that deals with this. Uh, Do you misunderstand God? Critical questions for Christians. Two chapters. We go through the book of Job and handle five answers to this question. Satan causes evil, right? Why are you blaming God for that? Then sin causes evil. A wicked person pulled the trigger. A wicked society that allowed the person to be able to do this, right? So, so like, sin causes this. And then God uses evil for good, even the death of his son, as we'll see. Answer four, the answer in the book of Job is this fourth one, really, that God is great. And I don't have the time to develop these, but that's an amazing one. 
And then answer five, evil is temporary. And that's helpful for us too. But I would say that these five answers help us with our mind. They, they help you, like, okay, I'm, I'm going through this difficulty, there's oppression, there's injustice, there's evil, and this helps me get a little bit of a grasp of why this would be able to happen in a world where God is good and God is all-powerful and evil is still in the world. But sometimes they don't get to our heart, our emotions. For those of you who have been abused as a child, or those of you who have been mistreated by your boss, you, you could answer these questions on a test, but you're like, but I don't know if that makes me feel very any better, Tim. And so we have Psalm 10. We have many psalms like this that help us walk through the emotions of it and know how to respond to oppression and injustice in a world that is imperfect and is broken because of sin and Satan. And so we move on from our mind and we move on to a psalm that that really helps us in the heart of things how to answer. And I just think of one of our dear ladies whose own son uh, died, was shot because of violence no fault of his own, and die. For decades, she did not know who the perpetrator was. And just two years ago, uh, the, the wheels of justice finally called up. But she had to deal with a whole life of not having her son. Right? And so she can know these things, and I know she does, and she is a strong Christian. But she needs Psalm 10. Because this is how you pray in response to that person who took your son, your only son. And so today, let's walk through, and you may have never been abused. You may have never been oppressed, or maybe your abuse and oppression is very small. Well, we'll help those who are walking through the greatest loss and help them turn to Psalm 10. Psalm 9, 10, and 11 deal with the same theme some think that 10 and 11 are the same psalm, but I think they're just three, three similar psalms that have to do with a lot of justice psalms in our hymnal of the psalms in the Bible that deal with these things. And they help us through these emotions. So let's look at it together. Our first point in verses 1 and 2 are the problem that causes questions. Here's the problem or the problems that cause questions. Verse 1. You may ask, is it ever wrong to question why? Is it wrong to pray that the, the wicked person would be hurt? Well, this psalm helps us. Is it, is it wrong to ask God why? No, because this is what the psalmist says. Why? Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? So the question is, why? What time is it in verse 1? Somebody find what time is it? It's a time of what? Time of trouble. Time of trouble. Right? This is the difficulty. When, 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 when everything's going okay, right, I can, I'm okay. But when it's a time of trouble, the word is a drought. Right? When, when you are all dried up, when you are facing a drought in a specific area, right? The West Coast is going through this right now. Uh, lack of rain. But, but you can, you know, the... The picture is all of us going through times of trouble in one area or the other. There's many different types of droughts, right? A, a drought of security, a drought of stability, a drought of good news, 
drought of provision, drought of meaningful friendships, drought of health or safety or calm. We all find areas in life that are droughts. You, you put yourself into one of those, I'm sure, today. And you say, yeah, I am going through a time of trouble. That's what the time is. Um, but who is with him? Well, the question is, who is not with him? Verse 1, why do you stand off in the time of trouble? Right? It's like, God, why are you standing afar off? It's like God is way over there and he's not walking my way. He's standing over there. But it gets worse, right? In the parallelism, right? The parallel, the end of verse 1. Not only is the Lord standing over there, as he comes to approach the Lord, because the Lord's standing over there, what does God do? He feels like he's hiding from him. Right? So you can kind of maybe feel this. Like you're, you're looking for your friend in this crowd. Oh, there they are. They're standing over there. They're not walking to me. Oh, did they recognize him there? Well, you start walking to them and you recognize, oh, now they're hiding under the table. Right? This person doesn't want to be with me. And that's what the psalmist is feeling. It's like God was standing afar off in my time of trouble. I was going through it and God was not there. In fact, it seems like I was seeking him and I couldn't find him. It gets worse because the problem, the problem was that the wicked were there. God was not there, but the wicked person was there. In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. Is it okay to pray that the wicked would not succeed? In fact, that their wicked plans would come on their own head? Yes. And so the psalmist prays that, that the very plans that they're devising against him would be enacted against them. Now, he's not making that happen, but he's praying that the God of all justice would do it. That the boss that is mistreating you would be mistreated by their boss. There is a boss over all these bosses. And he's the one that's in control. And so he's praying that, that Haman's end would be their end. Remember, Haman enacted, actually it wasn't, it was, it wasn't a gallows, it was a huge spike. And Haman made that to impale Mordecai on publicly. Much grosser than being hung. And, and at the end of the book of Esther, still celebrated in Purim and Jewish culture today, it wasn't Mordecai that was impaled, it was Haman. He fell upon the same plot that he had against the wicked. And so there is this problem, and this is the problem all the way again, back to the beginning. Cain and Abel, Sarah and Hagar, Joseph and his brothers, David and Uriah, and Saul and David. Internationally, Philistines, Babylonians, right? You could go every century, every culture has this. Those who are in power misuse their power because they're sinful people. And so we've all had to deal with it, um, some more than others. And so folks are praying, praying that they would be called in their plot. Well, then there's this profile, and I'm going to go quickly through the profile of the wicked. And I think this is helpful for you, right? If you've been oppressed, if you've faced injustice, then, then bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, why is this happening? And then secondly, what you would do is you would, you would make a profile of this person. Lord, this is what they're doing to me. Do you see the injustice here? And so he makes this profile, and it's not a pretty picture. We could summarize, 
I would say, five different character qualities in verses 3 to 11 that describe the wicked. Uh, And these are kind of the the themes that keep coming up. They are arrogant. They're atheistic. They don't believe in God. So that gives them arrogance to enact cruelty. And their cruelty is deceptive. So they don't see it coming. But the fifth one's the hardest one to swallow. The fifth one is they're prosperous. They're arrogant, atheistic, cruel, deceptive, and prosperous. How does that happen? So let's read through this. The wicked are characterized by the pride of self-sufficiency. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. There is this greediness, this boastfulness. He talks about himself and he takes for himself, boasting and greed. The wicked in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek God, and his thoughts are, there is no God. So the first description here is his view of God in verses 3 and 4. Verses 5 and 6, the wicked are characterized by the prosperity of no adversity. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight, and for all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. There is this pride of looking at his adversaries and saying, there is no enemy that can touch me. No generation is going to come up against me. I'm going to rule forever. That's what the wicked sometimes feel. And you see them actually prospering in that at times. They snort at their enemies. As they breathe out. Interesting picture. They have no thought that they're going to be touched at all. And so that would be their view of their enemies in verses 5 and 6. But this is the hardest one. This next one. The wicked are characterized by the prosperity of no adversity. And then, and then the third one here. The wicked are characterized by the oppression of the weak in secrecy. Uh, verses 7 to 11, we find that, that they're using their prosperity and their power and their view of God to make actually take advantage of others. His mouth is full of curses and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief and wickedness. And then he sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the hiding places, he kills the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the unfortunate. And people do that. They prey on the easy mark. He lurks in the hiding places, a lion and his liar. So there's this, this idea of a, a, a beast. They're, they're like a beast in how they take advantage of others. He lurks to catch the afflicted. Not just the the easily deceived, but actually the weak of society. The small child is who they're preying upon to abuse. He catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net. He crouches, he bows down, and the unfortunate falls by his mighty ones. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He's hidden his face. He will never see it. And so in their arrogance and their atheism, they actually get more bold in taking advantage of the weak. And so we would find this is their view of others. Other people are just someone they can manipulate and control for their own good, their own well-being. 
and especially preying on the weak. Despicable. Very, very wicked. And so what do you do in society when you have those people in control? I realize it's easy to tell Joseph, okay, Joseph, I realize you're being sold in slavery, and then you're being framed by this very powerful man's wife, but, you know, just trust God, just trust God. Yes, just trust God. But how do we emote? And he helps us with that in Psalm 10. We say, why, Lord? And we describe, secondly, we describe the profile of those who are oppressing you. And then you go to God. A prayer. And so he closes here with a good prayer. Uh, This is a good one for all of us when we're oppressed. It's a prayer asking God to get involved. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked spurned God? He has said to himself, you will not require it. You have seen it, for you have beheld mischief and vexation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. And so he asks God to stand on his behalf. Not to stand afar off, but arise on his behalf. Um, why? And then you, you give this profile before the Lord. And now this prayer, asking the Lord to get involved. One commentator put it this way, the why turns to a cry. Uh, in these verses, he's responding to the things that he said earlier by the wicked. Um, there's a parallel there. The wicked is saying that God doesn't see. And so he says, God does see. God doesn't help. So he says, God does help. You're reminding the Lord of what he is and who he, uh, what he's done in the past. And so I was reminded of this boy whose parents were taken this past week, becoming an orphan. Our hearts cry out to the Lord who aids the orphan and the widow. Lord, help this young man. Help all of those who are hurting and sorrowing because of oppression. A friend of ours recently has organized a 501c3 to help uh, Orphans and children whose parents are not able to provide stable environments uh, to provide a bridge into families, Christian families, that can help them. He says there's 400,000 children in the U.S. that are caught in foster care. Um, right? that's, that's part of the problem here. I think he said a fourth of those who are in jail and prison come from that group. Um, uh, because, because, yeah, society needs to help, but you know what? The church needs to help. Christians need to see the need there of those who have lost their parents or who have been born into very difficult situations where their parents abandoned them. This is true religion before God and the Father, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction. The Lord has seen it. And we, we get involved and we help. God has seen it, and he brings justice. And the justice that God brings is eternal. Uh, Life is very short. Eternity is very long. 
wickedness saves no one. And so they think, oh, you know what, my, my, um, uh, no one will ever overcome me. No, no, asking God to get involved, God will overcome. And look what he says, verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. So you have that in verse 12 and verse 15, the parallel idea. Oh God, what does he say? Lift up your hand, verse 15, and break the arm of the wicked. Now asking God to raise up his hand is the idea of his strength. And so it's not just asking that the wicked person's bones would be broken as they sit in prison there. The idea is may God's strong hand break their strength so where they can no longer enact wickedness and injustice in the earth. And we should pray for that. We should cry out for that. Those who are usurping injustice would not be able to do that any longer in our land, in our city. We need to move beyond that to the basis for that appeal. Look at verses 16 to 18. This is so beautiful. Let me encourage you to meditate on these things, especially those of you who have been abused and uh, maybe even right now you're seeing someone take advantage of you. This is where we have to go. Pray, ask God to get involved. Oh God, and you take this profile before the Lord and you ask him to do it, but then you remember who God is. And so it all goes back to theology. The same as the mind is the heart. We think the right things about God and God lets us feel correctly about these things. And so the basis for the prayer is in verses 16 through 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. Right. Look at chapter 10, verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 6, what did the wicked say? He says to himself, I will not be moved. Throughout all generations, I will not be in adversity. So the wicked is saying, I'm going to be strong forever and ever. What we need to say is in response to that, no. God is king forever and ever. The Lord is the one who rules forever. The Hitler's rule is short. God's rule is forever and ever. And in eternity, it's but a moment as eternal justice is never undone. So God is king. The Lord is king Nations rise and fall. Acts of wickedness rise and fall. Our country will rise and fall. This is history. I will fall. I'm going to be dead soon. I hope that's like when I'm 80s or 90s, whatever. But that's very short. We're all so short as far as eternity goes. And, and so you just think of these lives and you think, you know, that, that is very unjust. But then you think of God's justice that lasts and lasts and never ends. He's king forever. And he injects, enacts justice forever. He hears. Oh, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Um, He hears, oh Lord, you have heard the desire. My friend, don't take his slowness to answer your prayer in in an affirmative as though he doesn't hear. As you pray in Christ, you find an ear every time. God hears your pleading for protection. He hears your pleading for help. He hears you as you cry for the downfall of the wicked. Continue to pray. Continue to bring that offering of praise and prayer to God. 
Yes, ask him why. Yes, bring the profile of the wicked to him. Yes, lament and cry. That's all important. But then you say, you are king, and I know you're hearing me. You're not distant. You are with me in the trial. And you take those tears to the throne of grace. You can't take your tears to the government. You can't take your tears to the court system. You can't take your tears to your family. None of those things are strong enough. You have to take your tears to the place where always hears and always answers it's God. Because notice verse 18. He acts. He hears and he acts. You will strengthen their heart. A lot of times we we feel weak in our knees. We feel weak in our legs. We feel weak in our arms. I can't do enough. We need our heart to be strong in the Lord. We strengthen our heart with the Lord. With these types of texts. To vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. Right By God's grace we'll hear from Chris as he shares his ministry. And we'll be a part as, be a, little bit a, part as a church. And praying for that ministry. And even by God's grace supporting them financially. Because God does vindicate the orphan and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth will no longer cause terror. Uh, we, we ask God to act. Now, now, this will happen eternally as God does this. Uh, this will be uh, an eternal thing. Uh, God will bring down power forever. Um, and we wait for him to do that in the gospel. And so the, the, the text really ends in verse 18 uh, with God doing this forever. And we know that only happens as Jesus uh, reigns forever and ever and brings lasting, uh, lasting life. And so that's where we leave. We leave at the gospel where we always find hope. Recently read an account of Pastor Paul Schneider. Uh, he was abused and overtaken by one of the most wicked figures we know in all of history. Uh, as Hitler was building his mass media, mass masses monopoly, there were Christians and pastors who opposed and tried to voice opposition. 1937, when he did not vote in favor of Germany taking a neighboring state, uh, 90% of the country voted in favor. And only 10% voiced either non-voting or voiced opposition. And on those doors, the next day, they found this written, He did not vote fatherland, people, what do you say to that? This mounting opposition. Pastor Paul would continue to preach that God alone is sovereign and king and he would face prison and he would leave, they would let him go and he would preach again. One time for eight weeks, the Gestapo said that he could be released if he did not go back to his own home pulpit. You have to be annexed far away where preaching will not rise eyebrows. And he said, no. Let me loose. I'm going to preach in my own pulpit. When he was released, he preached from Psalm 145, verses 15 to 21. Beautiful passage of God's protection. Before he headed back that evening, uh, police cars blocked his road from getting to his church, and he went uh, in prison taken to a Nazi prison camp. He was one of the two pastors that Hitler chose personally to give the order to take to a concentration camp. 
The guards had total power over the prisoners. April 38, Hitler's 49th birthday, the prisoners were lined up and told to remove their hats and salute the Nazi flag. Everyone in the prison camp removed their hat except for one pastor, Paul Schneider. He was struck 25 times with a whip. His bleeding body was left in solitary confinement, eating bread and water, rags, rats, and he continued to preach. Sunday morning, August 1938, he preached through his bars, 6.30 roll call. Our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. If we have faith in him, we are put right with God. We need not fear what man may do to us because we through Christ belong to the kingdom of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us has promised that we by faith in him may participate in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me shall never die. Accept the Lord Jesus as your savior and God will receive you as his child. After two minutes of preaching, the guards rushed in, pulled him from the bars. Again, he was beaten 25 times with the whip. He said, somebody has to preach God's word in this hell. When he saw oppression and injustice of the Nazi prison guards, he would cry out, in the name of Jesus Christ, I witness against the murder of these prisoners. 25 more lashes. Surviving witnesses said each time he preached from his bunker, his tortures increased, but his faith faith in the Lord grew stronger. So outward appearances would say that Hitler won. His lifetime, he died. Two months later, World War II started. According to the History books at that time, Paul Schneider was one against a whole army, against a whole country of evil, preaching the gospel of Jesus. But here we are, 80 80 years removed from his death. Paul Schneider is regarded as an angel. Hitler is a demon. He is honored. Hitler is despised. Paul Schneider, most importantly, is in the glories of heaven. Hitler is still suffering in hell. And so we're remembered of the words of Longfellow, though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceeding small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness grinds he all. The tide is turned. Eternity brings evil down to its knees, and it does not win. And so, my friend, if you are mistreated, even today, continue to identify with Christ, the one who was beaten and mistreated as a perfect son of God by unjust and cruel men condemned to die. He is in the fire with you. He is in the den with you. He is in the stormy waters with you. He bore them all and can bear you through. When family fails, when friends fail, when society fails, Christ will raise you up. God's silence is not approval. We find that in his son, through the, though the cross is heavy, it brings him near us all. His justice is eternal. Find mercy at his cross. Bear injustice boldly. Let it remove your dross. 
Finding Christ your hope, the bloodied crown of thorn, becomes a crown of glory the wicked will not scorn. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We turn to the Lord for justice, for eternal justice. And know that in eternity there will be no scorn from the wicked. There will be no raised fist. But it all depends upon the cross of Christ where mercy and justice meet. God's justice has to be appeased. And that's in Jesus. Let me encourage all of us, yes, to rest in God's justice, but rest in his gospel. What Jesus has done for us. The one who has faced the scars and the cross and the crown of thorns, the beating in our place. So come to Christ today uh, with your sorrow, with your pain, with your trouble, with your drought, and find in him your rest. Find in him your eternal rest. If you have oppressed others, if you have been that bully, let me encourage you to cry out for forgiveness and find in Jesus forgiveness and a place of mercy. Let's all come to the cross. In just a moment, Pastor Andrew will close this in prayer. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be standing at the back. I'd be happy to pray with you. Let's all respond to his message of justice, though. Let's pray.